listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Since 2010, Live Oak Bank has lent over $1 billion in pharmacy loans to more than 660 independent pharmacies. The Live Oak Bank team works exclusively with community pharmacists every day and understands what it takes to ensure pharmacies succeed to take care of their communities across the country. If you're interested in acquiring an existing pharmacy, purchasing real estate, or diversifying your business with additional offerings, Live Oak Bank is the right financing partner to help you reach your goals. We hope you'll reach out to talk to our pharmacy lending team. Visit us at liveoakbank.com forward slash pharmacy. That's liveoakbank.com forward slash pharmacy. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, welcome. We're so excited that you're back. Lots of things going on in our industry. The role of the pharmacist is transforming. The services provided by community pharmacy are becoming expansive. I'm excited. I went to a clinical trials conference. Pharmacists and community pharmacies are becoming involved in clinical trials. There's opportunities. It's growing in order to grow your pharmacy business. It's it's my it's and I've told I've told Scotty Sykes this before, and he's back. Yep. Um, the worst part of me running my publication has been the back office understanding how to grow and run my business from an accounting perspective. And I really need professional experts to, to help me do that the way that I help my clients to build their audio and their publications and in becoming experts in that subject matter expertise. So I'm so excited that Live Oak Bank um, is, is sponsoring a series to dig into uh, the buy-sell concepts of, of the pharmacy business. And I want to introduce Greco to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. He is going to be our host for the series. Greco, we are so excited that you're here. Please tell us just a little bit about you and, and what you do at Live Oak Bank. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, I am excited to be here. Um, my name is Greco. I'm the Senior Loan Officer and Vice President of the Vertical. I help lead the Pharmacy Vertical here at Live Oak Bank. And um, we are uh, dedicated to helping independent pharmacies reach their dream of pharmacy ownership or expanding their business. And uh, we're very proud to say we've lent over a billion dollars. That's a, that's that's one billion with the B to the uh, independent pharmacy space. And we continue to do so as we enter into 2022 and really excited to have a group of, of, of very bright individuals who I've had the honor to have a lot of conversations with. And we're going to be talking about some fun stuff today. So looking Greco, forward to it. Greco, we are bringing on, in my mind, probably the godfather and the future godfather of accounting in the business of pharmacy. And I've I've been very uh, fond of these, uh, this family and what they've done for community pharmacy um, since the 70s. Um, I was born in the 70s, so I'm getting old, but uh, they're getting wise and they're getting more powerful. They're helping community pharmacists. And I want to bring back the Sykes family, Olin Sykes, Scotty Sykes. It's so good to talk to you again. Certainly glad to be here with Todd and, and Greca. Delighted. Looking forward to it. <laughs> 
Thank you. So I'm going to kick it off to who's going to guide us today. And the reason that we brought Greco on is he's an expert. He understands this from different angles. And that's why we bring on people that are subject matter experts to this. So Greco, I want you to take us away and just give us a preface in today's conversation with regards to us focusing on buying and selling our businesses to expand or, or retire or whatever it may be. But Greco, this show is all yours. Yeah, thanks. So, um, you know, at Live Oak Bank, we focus a lot on individuals purchasing their first business, uh, maybe even their second and their third. But something that we get a lot of questions about oftentimes are from not only the buyers, but also from sellers about um, common questions about best practices. And, and today, I really wanted to kind of talk about some of the high level subjects that people are talking to us and asking us a lot of questions about. And they're going to range from, you know, valuations. What, what's, what is a pharmacy worth or uh, how should it be valued? Um, stock versus asset purchase, tax strategies for each of them, common mistakes that might be out there in the, in, in, in the process, and then closing and post-close planning and considerations. And why I feel like it's such an important um, uh, viewpoint to get from Sykes and Company, because not only are they seeing it from individuals who they're helping uh, buy pharmacies recently on the accounting side and strategy side, but also their existing clients that might be looking to exit or individuals that are coming to them for these kind of common questions. So that's a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Scotty, Alan, anything you'd like to add to that? I'll just say, you know, it's um, the opportunity out there today is, is tremendous. Um, you know, pharmacies that are uh, able to uh, see what see what opportunities are available in, in today's marketplace. It's it's extremely exciting. Um, you know, there, this is a transformation, I guess, seen in this industry. Uh, never seen in this industry right now. Going to clinical, uh, so many diversified areas that are that are those doors are opening right now so it's you know it's very exciting from a pharmacy owner it's very exciting from our perspective because we're seeing it unfold with all the pharmacies we work with um and then for those uh maybe younger owners or other owners that are potentially uh wanting to buy in uh you know i couldn't couldn't see a more uh, exciting time to to get into the healthcare pharmacy space right now and be in that healthcare center of their of their communities Hey, and you know, Greco, coming off of PPP, EIDL loans, and COVID, the cash flow capabilities and positions of many pharmacies today are in better shape than they've been in in some period of time. I would agree. Um, and but yeah, we're going through another transformation with you know COVID hopefully easing out in this in this country and hopefully world. Um, and the, the baby boomers like myself are transitioning that much quicker out of the business, which leads directly into what you guys are doing with that one B is in billion dollar loan commitment that right. you guys have made to the industry. My Lord, what a number that is. Yep. I know it, it is. When you say it, when you say it out loud, it really does uh, kind of take you back, but we're very proud of it. Um, so, you know, uh, Alan, you touched on something there about, about 
about a transformation and and a lot of individuals that might be listening to this program right now might be thinking about their own transformation that they're going to be taking in the next maybe three months, six months, or in the year, or looking forward in the future. And I like to look at everything like a roadmap, right? So where do we start? And I think a common thing we're get a question about, whether it be from a buyer or from a seller or just from anybody in the space, is starting out with a price. How do they determine evaluation? How does one do that? What is the common metrics? And, and so let's just take on using... What we've just learned in the last two years and, and, and the state of pharmacy as of today, and someone was starting on the roadmap, what, what would we say as far as, as, as valuation or pricing a business? Um, where should someone start? Well, where we start is with the fundamental accounting numbers from the last three or four years. Um, and obviously, with COVID, we've got to take COVID adjustments into consideration, PPP loan forgiveness into consideration. But we, we've got to make sure we've got good, solid, fundamentally sound basis of numbers really to do uh, our calculations on. And as you know, determining a, as we refer to in the industry, recasted EBITDA properly so we can make sure we understand the valuation of a pharmacy is generally where we like to start with that, again, with historical numbers that mean something. If the numbers have not been put together properly, then that's problematic. Um, we typically don't take the tax returns because a lot of times the tax returns don't agree with the financial information, unfortunately, mm -hmm. in this industry, which mm -hmm. is a problem. We take the base fundamental accounting numbers that are there. We do some due diligence and the deep dive into those numbers, make sure they're cleaned up, make sure we understand what's going to happen uh, with the recastments. I'm sure we can talk more about that, but that's where we start. Yeah. And, and two and two things, follow-ups on that. When let's help everybody that might be listening out there as maybe a first timer or, uh, or, or maybe you've owned a pharmacy for a long time, but you're not really familiar with what that term might mean. Recasted EBITDA. Um, cause we look at that a lot too, all in we're looking at the cash flow of the business to determine how much free cash flow is actually there to service the proposed long-term debt. But that's an important point. Recasted EBITDA just really quickly yes. Alan Scotty dive into that just for a minute. Yeah. Just real, real quickly. What that means is that if I'm going to sell my pharmacy to you, Greco, and I have three cars on appreciation. I have a country club membership. <laughs> yep. I have social club memberships. I've traveled all over the world. And I've done that through my pharmacy, as the case is with some pharmacists. Right. Then you don't care how I spent that money in the past. And at the same time, you want to add back those adjustments. Yeah. Because that's going to be free cash flow that's going to be available to you as the buyer in order to pay down debt pull monies out of the business, whatever the case may be. So it's basically reestablishing the fundamental numbers is if you are the only owner and not me as the prior owner. It's, yes. it's taking that net income and adjusting it. So for Correct. those personal items or depreciation, amortization, non-cash expenses there, yep. uh, as, as Alan mentioned at the, at the get-go, we're seeing some COVID adjustments in there. Maybe a pharmacy was heavy in COVID testing. Uh, you know, you want to consider that in your adjustments or maybe they're heavy in vaccinations. You know, you wouldn't expect to see that down the road, perhaps. Correct. Uh, and we've also seen uh, very common is adjustments for 
uh, owner salaries and or retirement plans. So there's there's a lot of adjustments that can go into that to get a a true up of the number, if you will. And then from there, you can work with a a valuation metric, if you will. Yep. Yep. And it's really important for everybody to understand out there oftentimes, and I'm going to, I'll keep me honest, Scotty, keep me honest here. I'm going to say almost 90% of the time when we're looking at pharmacy financials or financials for any small business, and they're looking at going through a transaction, the net income that's shown on the tax returns, maybe even on the profit and loss from the QuickBooks are not an actual true reflection of what that free cash flow of that business can provide because just like many small to mid-sized businesses, there are discretionary expenses that are put through the business that are not essential to the business. And so it's very important when, when, when people are thinking about looking at numbers, you know, it's not always that number that you're going to see. It is going to be on that recasted earnings, recasted net income, or as Alan said, recasted EBITDA and everybody and everybody just on that acronym EBITDA, because that's something that's thrown out there a lot earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. It is an acronym that's used very often and a very important one to learn and to to understand because that is something that um, a lot of individuals, accountants, banks, they're going to be looking at that. So uh, just to kind of clear that up, thank you very much, Alan and Scotty. That was important. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very, yes. very critical number. Right. Okay. So, so as someone's looking at that recasted EBITDA or, or, or recasted net earnings and they've determined it and all let's just for easy, easy sakes, let's say it's a hundred thousand. Okay. And, and then they're saying, all right, we know what that number is now. Now what, what, what's next? So as we move down the roadmap, what, what what's next? Okay. We, we've determined it. Well, we first of all got to decide whether we're a seller or, or a buyer. If, if I'm a seller, I've got to decide based on the type of entity that I have, whether it's an S-Corp, a sole proprietorship, a C-Corp, partnership, or whatever, whether I'm going to sell the entity as a whole, mm-hmm. or whether I'm going to just sell assets. So that's obviously a deciding point right, right up front as with respect to um, which direction I go then. Um, and, and normally... Uh, most sellers would have already probably had some discussions maybe with their advisors. Their advisors maybe have suggested one route or another to take based on the way that they're situated. But that's a very formative question that has to be answered before you can then begin to plan the next steps. All right. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because you're right. A common question in an individual, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to act on the side of the buyer here coming to Live Oak Bank saying, hey, I'd like to buy a pharmacy. Alan, Scotty, just for a minute, let's act like you're on the seller side for a second here. And and a lot of common questions that people will come to us and say is, I want to buy a pharmacy. The next question out of our mouths are, okay, great. Have you determined a price? Maybe, maybe not. But then the next common question we're going to ask is, what are you buying? What are you, are you buying the stock or are you buying the asset? And, and, and a and a lot of times they won't know. You'll get the question ahead, mark. Sorry. You'll get the question mark in there. Well, I'm buying the pharmacy. Well, I'm buying the pharmacy. Buying? Exactly. Well, what are you buying? I'm buying right. the pharmacy. So right. it gets more detail than that, doesn't it, Greg? Yes, it absolutely does. <laughs> and it's and it's a very important question. Step one. So let's say, okay, let's get into it now. So 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 I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go ahead and say, well, I'm not sure yet. I'm the buyer in this in this role role play that we're doing for a minute here. I, I'm not sure. And so then I come up to you as a seller 
And and what do you think, Alan? What what's what's the what's the first question someone should think about? If I'm a seller, obviously the question I'm gonna think about is maybe the tax implication, but maybe not. Go ahead. Well, I think clearly uh, one of the key questions are the tax implications. Certainly not the entire situation, but I've got to figure out whether I'm an if I'm an S corp, then I might decide I need to go down one direction. If I'm a C corp, I might want to go down another particular direction. But um, and, and that affects both the buyer and the seller because the seller has opportunities both from an S and to a C to do certain things. Um, that um, that need to be dealt with. And I know I was dealing with a situation recently, like this week, where there was a single member of LLC um, that wants to bring in some partners. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to change his federal ID number, didn't want to change his third-party contracts. Well, if he brings in partners, he all of a sudden becomes a partnership and everything changes. Yeah. However, if he decided to make an S election, retroactive back to the 1st of 2022, then his federal ID number could remain the same. He becomes an employee of the entity, and then he could bring in those shareholders, I mean, those potential people as shareholders at a later time, let's say in April or May of this year. Um, But he had some assets that he had titled in the LLC that he didn't want to be part of that deal, which complicated the whole transaction. So there's just a lot of issues based on the entity status of the seller and um, that have to be addressed. And the buyer has to look at it also from this, from, from the same, same way, but different angles. So let's, let's for a minute here, say someone is an S corporation. All right. Would, would you, would you agree? And I, and I mean, obviously we're not casting wide blankets here, but, but wide nets, but a majority of the, Independent pharmacies that are out there are going to be S corp, S corporations. Yes, we we okay? would agree. Either S corps by themselves or LLC taxes as corps, but tax yep. as S corps okay. is generally speaking what we see the most. Okay. And then let's let's go ahead and say now, just for the for the listening audience out there, so we can start to break down the difference between that question about what are you buying? Is it going to be an asset or a stock? So, so let's talk a little bit about an asset purchase. What does it mean and what goes into it? Um, because we see a lot of the times from the banking side, from the financing side, it doesn't matter to us what it is that you're going to buy. Now we can get into the weeds on some of the complications that might be out there. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, but it does make a difference on that price. So let's talk a little bit first about that asset purchase. What is it? What kind of goes into it? Well, I'll just step in. Let me just step in. I mean, with an asset purchase, you're going to identify those particular assets within the pharmacy that you want to purchase. Inventory, uh, script files, uh, maybe there's goodwill involved in all that. Um, And so you're going to, the seller at that point is going to sell those individual assets. uh, But that seller is still going to hold on to that if it's an escort. They're still going to own that escort. They're just spinning off the assets. Uh, and the, the buyer in that case is going to set up their own entity, uh, perhaps, and then maybe an LLC, and they're going to buy the assets in that, that LLC. Uh, whereas a stock purchase, if you're an S-Corp owner here, you're selling that whole stock. You're selling that whole entity, perhaps, or maybe you're selling 50% of it or whatever, but you're selling that stock. So if it's just like a, a share of Apple stock. You own a share of Apple stock, you sell it. I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing. It's just you're talking about your pharmacy here. So, um, 
that that's essentially you know in the tax the tax planning around that is uh extremely important because that obviously can impact that sale price the negotiation um and so on so um and just saying also, if we're selling assets and we're S-Corp, if that S-Corp has not been an S-Corp for at least five years, yeah. that seller could have what's called built-in gains tax to pay in addition on the sale of those assets. So knowing when he became or she became an S-Corp, how long they've, they've held the, uh, had, had the S-Selection becomes paramount in, in that decision that Scotty just talked about. Yeah, and and so 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 – Asset purchase is really you're buying the assets of the business, intangible and tangible. Tangible, right. we all know we can touch, right? The inventory, the furnitures and fixtures. That usually isn't going to be the biggest part of the transaction. The That's largest right. part of the transaction is going to be that intangible assets, covenant to not compete, and then the G word, the goodwill of the mm -hmm. business. And that goodwill ties back to what we were talking about on that recasted EBITDA. And, and, and let's just go back to that for a minute because it's going to be important. So let's say that recasted EBITDA got to 100,000. How and, and how does that tie into the goodwill? And why oftentimes, if a recasted EBITDA is 100,000, why oftentimes can the goodwill be anywhere between two to $300,000. Scotty, why don't you go ahead and, and, and talk to us a little bit about how they tie into each other and then how each number's derived there on the goodwill. Well, you're gonna come up with that gross purchase price, right? So whatever, let's just say it's $200,000. Uh, you're gonna take that $200,000, which you've determined from the valuation from the recast EBITDA perhaps, mm -hmm. and you're going to assign valuation, uh, that, that gross valuation into different buckets. So you're going to assign maybe 150,000 of that to the goodwill script value. And then you're going to maybe add on, um, or if, if there's anything else in there, you're going to maybe throw it into the fixed assets, uh, machinery, equipment. Maybe there's a robot you're pulling in as well. Uh, maybe there's some inventory you're buying. So all that's going to, you know, you're going to have to break it up into those buckets. Now, one, one key thing here that is, is very notable for the listener out there, if you're a buyer, and let's just say you've got the $200,000 gross price, from a tax perspective, generally, you're going to want to allocate as much as that of that purchase price to maybe that equipment you're buying. Um, and furniture and fixtures. So if you are buying some furniture and fixtures and equipment, maybe it's a robot, we want to assign as much value of that gross valuation to the uh, to that furniture and fixtures. The reason being is because the depreciation laws are so liberal right now that that new buyer uh, can then write off essentially in year one, that that entire uh, valuation that has been allocated to the machinery equipment and uh, maybe that robot um, and giving them a huge deduction in that first year. So let's just say out of a $200,000 gross price, uh, you know, $100,000 of machinery and equipment and the rest was inventory and goodwill. So they're getting that $100,000 write off uh, maybe in year one if with the right planning in place. Right. But that's going to reduce any of that income. But and, and, and if you're a seller, yeah. 
Yeah, if Scotty's the buyer and I'm the seller, if I'm the seller, if my fixed assets are fully depreciated, I may not want to do that because I may have to recapture that as ordinary income. Mm. And I may say, no, time out. I'm not paying ordinary income tax on the sale of those fixed assets. I want everything assigned to goodwill because goodwill is a capital asset. And chances are it's been earned and built over time by the pharmacy versus being right. purchased. If it's purchased, it's another issue. And a capital well, asset a cap has a capital asset. And in Scotty's case, as buyer, he would be able to amortize that over 15 years. In my case, as a seller, you'd be able to get long-term capital gain treatment on, on the sale of that. Notwithstanding the fact that if you had a covenant not to compete, that's ordinary income to me. So I want that to be as little as possible. Yeah. Um, from a seller perspective. So as Scotty mentioned, each class of assets has got to be valued. You guys as uh, financiers don't necessarily care. No. There's one big bucket, the price is X. Right. How it's allocated, I know you don't care. Um, you're going to tie everything into one, one, one transaction uh, as you typically do with one payment. Um, but it's something that has to be very carefully analyzed. And, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, you can, there's some great planning you can do there. And and sometimes the other, the other party is not doing the planning they should be. And you can maybe, you know, wiggle it in your way in your favor. Um, and also want to mention that it's very important. You get the form 85, um, 85 is 8453 completed. A lot of times we don't see that uh, either the seller, the buyer, the other party. So just want to mention that real quick. Yeah, and so so all, really great info here, and and just to kind of help everybody as we go back to that roadmap. So where we've been is we've talked a lot about that recasted EBITDA, right? Understanding what that recasted number might be from the business from the profit and loss statement. That's an important thing too. We didn't talk about right, Alan. That 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 recasted EBITDA is going to come from the profit and loss statement um, on 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 the business. And then once we have that, that's going to help us determine a little bit about what that free cash flow in the business is. Next, when you're looking at, well, what am I going to buy, stock or asset? If you're doing the asset purchase, it's going to be intangible assets, tangible assets, whatever and however you assign those values, that's what it's going to be. And then those are going to be transferred from the seller's corporation or whatever tax entity they have into the buyer's new one, whatever they decide to establish. And then on the stock purchase, let's talk for a minute here about a stock purchase because a lot of people sometimes they will do that gaining, we're seeing more of them occur. Again, doesn't matter to the bank which one, but let's talk for a second stock. And you you, you used a good one all in one, and, and Scott, I think you did too. You sell a share and basically you get it. I always like to use the term, it's like stepping in the seller's shoes, right? And And so, so talk for just a minute, just a little bit about what goes into that stock purchase. Let, let me clarify one thing. Uh, the form that we spoke about uh, is an right. 8594. That's the uh, asset acquisition statement that you have to get signed by the buyer and seller at closing. I think I mentioned that number wrong. It, it breaks but, down the buckets of the assets. That's right. Yep. But, on, but on a common stock situation, again, with an S corporation, it gets even more complicated because if the S corporation, I as the owner, have been an S corporation for at least five years, and if I'm transferring 80% or more of the business over a year, then I have an option of doing some separate transactions. You're beginning to see more of these through the bank. 
Uh, one is a code section 336E transaction. Another one is a code section 338810 transaction. Mm-hmm. Simply put, a 336E transaction, which is a simpler of the two, is where I, uh, maybe Scotty, is purchasing the stock of a non-related party. Um, let's say he's buying entire common stock position. Uh, we get an asset allocation, just like we're talking about here. Um, and he is able to make a special tax election to keep the federal ID number, keep essentially in most cases, most of the third party contracts in place. And it's, it is if they, he is buying the assets only, but inside the parameters of the S corporation itself, everything stays the same. So on the day after he buys the shares, he is operating 100% under that entity, same federal ID number, same contracts essentially, uh, he is able to mark to market the value of the assets that he's agreed to with the uh, between the buyer and the seller. Um, so the the buyer gets the advantage of upping the basis of the assets to what he is paying for the goodwill, for the fixed assets, for the inventory, for the receivables, and if there's any debt assumed, assume that comes into play as well. But he's essentially buying the common shares and making those tax selections and just continuing on like nothing ever took place and filing um, the appropriate tax returns to do that. So we're seeing a lot of that happen here where the contracts especially don't need to change for one reason or another. Um, and it just makes it somewhat simpler, Greco, uh, mm-hmm. but the tax part of it is a little bit complicated. Yeah, and so, okay, so then We've got, so for the listeners out there, and and it's something that we talk a lot about with buyers. So asset purchase, we already have determined you're buying the assets of the business, you're transferring over. Oftentimes, the the, the largest portion of what we're looking at, not from a tax, what's best for taxes, but the largest portion of the purchase price is typically going to be in that goodwill value, which is coming from either a multiple of future earnings based on that recast EBITDA. Maybe it's on a price per script. Maybe it's on a percentage of revenues, whatever they might have, or maybe they just pulled the number out of the hat, right? Whatever that number is going to be, that's going to be the goodwill. Then you've got a small portion of that of, of a covenant to not compete inventory furnitures and fixtures. And there's your total. Now, when we're looking at a stock purchase, you may be looking at buying the value of the goodwill, okay, that may or may not change. Then assets such as inventory, and now we're getting into the balance sheet. And I know all and this is really, and Scotty, this is where the balance sheet plays in a, a more significant portion. And when we're looking at stock purchases, inventory, perhaps cash on hand, receivables, minus payables or liabilities. And now we've got what I often like to refer to as book value or enterprise value or lock, stock and barrel, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And that's what an individual is looking at purchasing when they're going into that stock purchase. So you can see how all those things can play into the price going back to, well, what are you buying and for how much? It could be an asset. It could be a stock. The numbers may be exactly the same, but what it is that you're purchasing does play a difference. Yeah, and, and if you're doing the stock, you're, you know, if, if you're buying ABC Pharmacy Inc., the next day, if I'm buying 100% of ABC Pharmacy Inc., I own 100% of ABC, ABC Pharmacy, Pharmacy Inc. the next Inc. day. Yep, yep. So, it stays the same. Um, and, and, you know, aside from the 338 and the 336E transactions, which 
uh, are heavy tax planning opportunities. But, right. you know, if you're just going to buy the stock and you're not going to get into any of the other tax uh, options that are available there, um, you know, the seller's going to get that long-term capital gain treatment, assuming they've owned the stock of the pharmacy for longer than a year, mm-hmm. which has preferential tax rates, which as a buyer, um, as a, as, as a uh, buyer, I'm going to want to pay uh, a lesser val- uh, valuation, a lesser price, um, because I'm not going to get when I'm buying stock, you don't get any real tax benefits right out the gate. Um, right. You don't get those write offs of that equipment and that uh, machinery we talked about previously. It's like if I buy that stock for $100,000, I have a stock basis of $100,000. That's what I've paid for that stock. And I'm not going to see any benefits of that until really uh, the day I, I sell the pharmacy 10, 20, 30 years from now. Right. Um, so there's there's a lot of valuation uh, concerns and, and address uh, things to also uh, address there with the negotiation of that. It really is price. because if you're the buyer and you're not getting any benefit, right, on the purchase of common stock until whenever you sell it down the road, maybe decades from now, you get. I mean, you get no benefit until you sell it. Yep. So, that's, so that I'm not going to pay. Real- I'm not going to pay a full top dollar when I'm yeah. not getting any benefit. And you're the seller. You're getting a capital gain tax treatment, which is a preferential tax rate of twenty three and a half percent. Yep. Um. So at the federal yeah. level. At the yeah. federal level. Yeah. And, and and so so as we're going through that roadmap now, and and I think that's an important point, right? As as you've gone, if you go through each part of your destination along the roadmap. I've identified I want to buy or I want to sell. You identified how much you want to do that for because you've either gone through the recast of EBITDA, you understand your inventory, you understand uh, how much uh, uh, receivables uh, or minus payables it might be. And then you've perhaps made that determination, I am going to either buy or sell the asset or stock of my company. And there's all these little, I tell people all the time, there's all these little off ramps that you have to take at times to consider, be it legal, be it accounting, be it taxing, whatever it might be. Then you start to get back on that road road again because you want to continue towards your destination. Let's talk for a minute now about what are some of the common mistakes that can be made along the roadmap? Because we all know the start. We all have an idea. We think we know where the end might be. And there's all those little off ramps that we have to take as we consider and considerations as we go through it. But let's talk for a minute just what are some of those common mistakes? I mean, I think you've started to kind of touch on some of them, but but what do you think, Alan? What are some of the common mistakes people? Well, need the to number consider? one thing I see sometimes is getting professionals involved that don't have a clue what they're doing on these kinds of transactions. Um, they may be your best friend attorney who handles real estate transactions, and um, but maybe they've never hand, handled an SBA loan transaction before. Yeah, they certainly don't know the tax intricacies of some of the things we're talking about. But you need to surround yourself with professionals that know what they're doing in this industry. That that is a that is a key common issue that we have. And, and obviously, not having the fundamental accounting information in play to be able to do and compute all the numbers and the calculations here that we're talking about is is another big issue that we see here. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just say the accounting. Things. The yeah, the accounting can really, um, really hurt you. Uh, you know, we've seen books and records where 
there's a lot of uh, discrepancies and what's what should be, and and that could certainly impact the valuation from a negative perspective to the seller, for example. Uh, uh, one just one that just comes to mind with the uh, stock sale. You know, we talked about basis. I paid a hundred thousand dollars for your stock. That's my my basis is a hundred thousand dollars now in that ownership that of that uh, pharmacy I now own, S Corp. Um, what we tip, what we see commonly is that there's no shareholder basis. It has not been kept up with. It is you. If you're an S corporation out there listening to this, you need to ask your CPA. Give me my. I need to know what my shareholder basis is in my stock, and it should it should be able to reconcile and make sense. Because you'll if 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 you do not have that basis there and it's never been kept up, if you have a if you have a million dollar, if you sell your stock for a million dollars and you have no basis because it's never been kept up or uh, nobody's ever paid mind to it, your gain is a million dollars. Whereas if you if you've kept up with your basis and you know what it is, let's say it's three hundred thousand dollars, your gain therefore is seven hundred thousand dollars, and the the tax implications from uh, not having a basis can be uh, detrimental mm-hmm. from a tax yeah. perspective. You know, something I, I we, we see a lot of when we're looking at pharmacy financials to finance, and, and, and let's say it's in the stock stock transaction, something that we see a lot of is individuals who may not be keeping up with proper inventory, but more so that aren't keeping up with the receivables from the third party on a reconciliation basis. I think that's really important because when you're looking to buy in a pharmacy, especially if you're doing the stock purchase, you're buying those receivables. That that is essentially what you're purchasing now. Because Live Oak Bank, we understand the pharmacy industry. We may build in additional working capital above and beyond what the third party receivables uh, may be. But a common mistake we see a lot of times are those third party receivables are not accurately reconciled or shown. And I think that's a common mistake because then that can really alter that allocation of price in the bucket. It can also alter the taxation issues on the seller. I mean, mm. the seller has never booked that and he has a hybrid system or he's never recorded that. Mm. Um, it can be a real surprise come come time of sale because at time of sale, essentially you're recognizing all that at one time mm. and you've never picked it up and paid taxes on it. So mm. it, we, 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 in fact, I was working on a transaction last year. It was just like that, Greco. Um, and, and the poor sellers didn't have a clue, and the, and the accountant for the sellers didn't have a clue, unfortunately. But um, keeping accurate third-party receivables yeah. reconciled with systems that are in place, ca- keeping accurate inventory and payables and bank reconciliations are critical, absolutely critical to everything we're talking about here. It goes without saying that has got to be in place on that balance sheet. Otherwise, yeah. If the balance sheet, anything affecting the balance sheet, the adjustments affect the PL. So yeah. if you're adjusting up or down the balance sheet accounts, it's going to affect the PL one way or the other. We, and it we've can seen, be a real surprise. We've seen pharmacies come in our door with inventory a million dollars off. Yes. On the tax returns. Yeah. So you I mean, you imagine the hit that that takes on a, you know, on those on that PL yeah. on that balance sheet. Yeah. When absolutely. you adjust that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those common mistakes, you know, I mean, look, I, I like to tell everybody all the time, you know, it a mistake is okay if you identify it and if you can fix it in a timely manner. I think another common mistake that I see a lot of the times 
are individuals who maybe try to go through real fast transactions or, you know, sometimes they call them in the industry fire sales. I don't really like to use that term, but I guess for the purpose of what we're talking about, that's really what it is. Kind of maybe better word to use is just lack of planning. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's something too. And, and let's talk for a second guys, because I think that comes into a common mistake, lack of planning. Not everybody has two to three years to plan out in the head. And especially what we've learned over the last three years in the world, it's very fluid and it's hard to plan out further than a year. But do you guys think that at least one year of planning is long enough to get some of these things that we're talking about situated? I personally think it is, but I want to hear what you guys Yeah, think. I, I think it is, Greco, if the fundamental accounting numbers are in place. Okay. If the numbers aren't in place and you've got to go back and do some homework, make some amendments and things of that nature, it may not be. But generally speaking, I would think a year properly time would be would be adequate. Yeah. And, and I'll just, you know, and if if you're in that situation, obviously that could impact that valuation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tremendous. And, and I frankly have seen it done much less time than a year when the things are together. Oh, that's you're cool. not gonna you're yeah. not gonna pay top dollar for uh, some issues or concerns. Yeah. That yep. you have. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, along with the common mistakes, I think that are out there, either lack of planning, not having the proper um, fundamentals in the business established. And, and I'll, I'll say too, sometimes a common mistake is not educating oneself. You don't have to, you don't have to make the decision, but I always tell individuals who come to us and I'll, I'll give them a little 15 or 30 minute discussion about educating themselves on the differences between stock and asset, what goes into it, what doesn't go into it. So that you're planning appropriately so you can have good conversations. Ultimately, a seller, in my opinion, is going to decide of what they're going to sell, be it stock or asset. And sometimes for how much, I know the bank can step into that because there's that old saying, you know, a market is someone's willing to uh, uh, pay uh, what you're asking for, but it's really important if a bank is willing to finance it, right? And so sometimes that price might have to get adjusted. But I always tell people all the time, just make sure that you're doing your education if you're on the buyer side, so that you understand the differences between the two, and it's gonna it's gonna plan for better planning in that way. Yeah, no question. And there's plenty of educational resources out there, Greco. I mean, you've got definitely, you know, there's tons of information out there for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, so let's 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 kind of okay. So so let's go back to our roadmap now. Let's assume that this is all green lights. We've hit all the green lights. We've established the purchase price. We know the stock or asset. We've we have confidence in the recasted EBITDA. We've we've avoided a lot of the common mistakes, and I can see the end. We're there. And but but you know there's there's actually closing the transaction, and then there's post sale planning and considerations that have to happen, and so that roadmap kind of you know we reach an end goal, but just like everything you know a new one starts. So let's talk for a second about closing a transaction and then post sale planning and consideration. Scotty, what do, what do you see of some of the some of the best practices for closing a transaction effectively? Well, it's I'll say you got to have the right team in, in place. Like uh, Alan said previously, having that right team in place is going to streamline that close. It's going to make it efficient. It's going to get it done right. You're going to get the agreements the way they should be. Um, and you're hopefully going to have a successful close in a timely manner. 
working with uh, the right team includes the 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 niche banks like yourself, Greco, yep. uh, the healthcare attorney, the yep. CPAs who's been involved, who the planning's uh, taken place, um, and you execute and you close the deal. Um, I, I, that's what just comes to mind uh, with that uh, situation. And, and I would mention that on an asset situation where the buyer is buying the assets only, Greco, I think it's very critical because typically the buyer is going to get a power of attorney to adjudicate claims. Yep. From the seller, and there needs to be written in written in the agreement a weekly reconciliation because the funds are going to come back to the seller's account until all your third party approvals go through. Sometimes that takes six months or even longer to get in place. So uh, your your seller needs to keep their bank accounts open, keep that entity open. Mm-hmm. Need to be in a position where they can reconcile those accounts with you weekly. Because that's your cash flow coming to you, other than what money's chief lent for working capital uh, at closing. But that would be for an asset uh, sale uh, purchase situation. Um, we've seen some real, real bugaboos on that one uh, when not and, handled properly. And and that goes right back to having the right team. Yeah, if yeah. you have the right team, you're you're not going to have that issue. You're not. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that stuff comes in the beginning and and along the roadmap before you reach the closing. And and I always tell people, you know, if if we've done our homework, we're all motivated. There's no reason why a transaction can't get done within sixty to ninety days. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, as closing goes, you know, a few key things have to happen, in my opinion. You have to be able to set a date. That's so important. Establish a date that you want to be able to close the transaction, be it 60 days out or 45 days out. And this is, this look, this is, we're talking also about, remember, we've already talked about, hey, we've established a lot of things that are leading up to this. But now you've either, as a buyer, you've got your letter of commitment from the bank, you're approved seller, you've got your team in place, you, you know that you're going to want to sell and you've got everything in place. Set a date. Don't ever let something not have yeah. an end date in there. So I think that's an important part to closing, Agreed. establishing a date and a timeline. And then next is making sure that all the parties that are involved are aligned with that date and that someone or something isn't going to drag that date out longer than a week or two because time usually will kill all deals. And, 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 and if it's a good one for the buyer and if it's right for the seller, then, then it should go forward. Um, and then finally, you know, you, you, and this, now we're getting into the post-sale planning and considerations that weekly reconciliation. I think that's really, really, really important. And, and then let's talk just for a minute more about why that's so important, because you're right, Alan, we as the bank, we know the pharmacy space. We're going to give them some working capital to get them through the thir- first 30 to 45 days. But there's more money coming in. Every day. Every day. And how do they know whose is whose? And how do they handle the DIR feeds? That's something we could spend a long Absolutely. time talking about. Absolutely. And they're going to have to literally take the 835s and do a weekly reconciliation yep. with the data transmittal of, that, of those adjudicated claims to find out whether it's the seller's or the buyer's money, depending on whether receivables uh, were, were bought or not uh, from the prior owner. But th- you're right. DR fees need to be 
in most cases estimated because you cannot some of the clawbacks from like CVS Caremark they do it three times a year mm-hmm. you don't always know exactly where they're going to be but you can estimate what they're going to be and then have a true up at some point in time post closing sometimes we'll have true ups of several things that go on post the closing but these 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 are very very important issues again that knowledgeable healthcare specialists are going to know how to set this up to make sure that you're covered yep Yep, I would agree. And 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 having um, having all these things in place, uh, you know, while they may seem complicated when we're listening to it over a podcast, you know, once you get into it, you realize it's really all not not all that yeah. complicated. And I think I think a common misconception out there is that you know doing this is is impossible. It's not. No, it just takes proper all. planning and just happen, takes some education. Happens, happens every day. Every day. Just like, you, like you're talking about, just the life insurance application. That can hold up the whole closing. Yep. And you've had transactions where that's happened. Yep, yep. And if you don't get you don't get that process moving, those kinds of – if you don't align all these things uh, with a date and time in, in, the, in the future, then it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. This has been a, a great conversation. I want to thank Olin – and Scotty Sykes, uh, the insights that you bring to concepts really lay out some blueprints, in my opinion. So the next step is if you're curious um, about working with Live Oak Bank on exactly these types of expansion opportunities or buy-sell opportunities, Greco's the guy. His contact information will be in the show notes. I want to give a shout out to uh, Olin and Scotty. You're always welcome back. Uh, here on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you very much, Todd. Appreciate all you do for the industry. Yep. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Greco and Live Oak Bank. Absolutely. One billion is a B. Yep. Thanks, everybody. What a commitment. What a commitment. Thank you for that commitment. We're very proud of it. Thank you very much. And and Todd, thanks for having us on and um, look forward to the next one. To the next one. Thank you. And thank you, pharmacists and pharmacy owners, for everything that you do for our communities yep. throughout the nation and what yep. you um, have sacrificed through this pandemic. Absolutely. Good yep. times are coming and uh, it's time to to, to rise up with, uh, with community pharmacy and empower them because they will empower our communities throughout the country. So a shout out to all of our pharmacy owners. Thank you. Absolutely.